This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats for the week ending Friday, the 22nd of December. Dead festive. The Chateau du Hope. Chateau du Hope. And we ha- boy, have we got hope for you. <laughs> we have, we have. What did we talk about Well, I, the, really, the main subject of the week, I think, um, is the New Europeans' uh, lawsuit against Michel Moan. And I think it's a really important... We'll, we discussed it in detail, and I think it's an important moment for the newspaper... Yeah, uh, in, in seven year history, and it's a very important uh, cause, both journalistically, but also it, it speaks to a broader political problem. Which you yeah, yeah. Into. I think that's absolutely right, um, and it's something that um, I feel very passionately about. Yeah, I know me you too. do too. Absolutely. So, what should we call it? Should we call Michel Moan versus the New European? Michel Moan versus the New European is as good as anything. And we also have a special guest in part two. Don't that's we? right. Uh, Talking the, about the issue of the year, I think, migration. The, uh, the excellent Zoe Gardner. Yeah, Zoe a, Gardner. is an independent expert on migration policy. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, another person who personifies uh, the spirit of hope and practical optimism. Yeah. She was brilliant. Well worth really sticking good, around Really for. good. All right. So this is episode 27 of The Two Mats, Michelle Moan versus The New European. Enjoy. Enjoy. So, Matt, what are we going to talk about? Well, I think given your um, performance on the Today programme this Ooh, morning yes. uh, about the Michel Moan case, I think we have to talk about that. Yeah. And uh, so maybe we could kick off with um, a clip from Laura Kunzberg's show on mm, Sunday. Definitely. Of Michel Moan talking about what she thinks about the whole scandal, and then we can get into the detail. Good, good. So here we go. I wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. And I regret and I'm sorry for not saying straight out, yes, I am involved. My family have gone through hell with the media over, you know, my career. And I didn't want another big hoo-ha in the press and my family to be involved in it. The the two contracts in total came to a value of of £202 million. And, uh, you know, MedPro made made a return on its investment of about... Uh, realistically, about thirty percent. So, about sixty million pounds. Or- yeah, that was Doug Barham and uh, Michelle, Michelle Moan's husband, who um, led the consortium for PPE MedPro and then MedPro. S- spent years denying any involvement whatsoever with the company. Um, 
even there, the level of evasion is apparent. You know, since yes. when he says two hundred million pounds revenue and uh, 30 percent. So I'm not going to volunteer. He's saying I'm not going to volunteer the actual number. I'll, uh, Laura Koonsberg had to volunteer that yes. sixty million quid um, profit. Uh, a thirty percent margin on 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 that kind of scale. One hundred and two twenty two millions worth of which was unusable. Yeah, yeah, it's extraordinary. So they're arguing the toss about why it's unusual. But regardless of that, just the fact that they didn't even have a company until uh, when COVID happened. They heard that COVID was happening. Uh, They scrambled together a consortium, went to the Far East. And I am told reliably that buying PPE was not a challenge. It was just a question of who could get there first. And they they got there early, you know. And of what quality they were. were. So let's start at the sort of end of the story with um why the new european is uh suing yes because i think that yeah well well i I think it's important for our listeners to understand why the newspaper is doing this and what it means so here's the sequence of events in short order um and firstly i want to give credit to david conn at the guardian because the truth is that david conn for years has led this investigation and has diligently going back to 2020 yeah yeah yeah. and as and 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 David is one of the great investigative journalists yeah. of our time and did amazing work over Hillsborough, um, uh, which I followed my entire career and uh, and picked up on this scandal. And David and his team at The Guardian um, had been threatened uh, with lawsuits by Michelle Moan's lawyers for, for ever since they were doing it. Now, we came into it. Uh, a little later into the into the narrative, and we ran a front page of um, Michelle Moan, quite famous photograph now of her stood on the deck of this yacht called the Lady, the Lady M. M, a yacht which she had a photograph of on uh, her Instagram account with the caption "Business isn't easy, but it's rewarding." Right, so so here's a photograph of her stood on this yacht, um, and uh, we put it under the headline "Stop this boat." You know, and this was in August, wasn't it? In August this year. Stop this boat, because this boat is illustrative of the kind of cronyism and corruption that this government has become absolutely, you know, renowned for. for, Absolutely world famous for. The day after we get a a legal threat from Michelle Moan saying she's going to sue us for defamation unless we withdraw the article, withdraw all copies of the newspaper from sale. Um, apologise publicly and pay damages to a charity of her choice. Now, our reality as a small independent publisher is that we don't have in-house lawyers. So any time somebody does this, and they do it from time to time, uh, we have to employ a media lawyer, which inevitably ends up costing us several thousand quid. And uh, At least. At least. Uh, and, you know, inevitably, we've never been successfully sued because we are very diligent about staying on the right side of the line of what one can say, yeah. you know. Uh, and the law is there to protect uh, fair reporting and honest and fair comment on, on facts. So we told Michelle Moan to F off, effectively. Um, but we also said to her, um, since you are relying on um, your insistence that you have no ownership in this boat whatsoever, then we're entitled to see documentation to that evidence. Nothing was forthcoming for weeks. We harried her. Eventually, she sent us um, a letter from via a solicitor who, or an ex-solicitor, I should say. He was struck off in 2011 for uh, for nefarious activities, which I won't. I mean, it's a long time ago, and I'll I'll uh, leave him alone on that one. But this guy was representing. Uh, Moan and Barryman in this instance sent us a letter from LM Yachts Limited, an Isle of Man registered company, which claimed to have 100% ownership of the Lady M yacht. And the letter contained the following sentence, which is that Baroness Moan has no proprietary interest, comma, directly or indirectly in the yacht or the company. The indirectly is very important. Absolute bollocks. Yeah. Malud. Absolute bollocks. This is a technical <clears throat> legal term for yeah, any people yeah. who are listening. And um, and I just got incredibly irritated at first, and then anger started creeping into the equation. And I thought the shamelessness of the way these people act and the sense of impunity that they have. And entitlement. Entitlement. And, and of course, the truth is that the reason they act with such impunity around their 
deceit and corruption is that that that's the, the they're the waters they swim in in this Tory government. You know this you can trace it all back to the PPE MedPro contract and the way that they've been dealing with that. So I got angry about it and I said uh, when she, when um, Laura Koonsberg did her brilliant interview, which I think hasn't had enough credit for really. No, it was an excellent interview. Uh, because what's worth remembering is that there was a swamp of people on Twitter saying, why are the BBC giving these people a PR platform to parade their innocence and all of this? Was, well, Laura, why. Laura was a lot better than people gave her credit for. And she gave them the room and she asked the she right gave them the rope. She gave them the room to absolutely hang themselves with, with the rope, as you say. I, I spoke to a few people and I said, you know what, there should be something where we can go and claim our money back. Maybe it's just in the small claims court or something like this, but we should say they've lied to us. We've acted on that deceit. It's cost us money. They knew they were being deceitful. There should be a way to to sue them. And it turns out there is. It's just that it's never been done before. And it's under the tort of deceit, which is normally applied in contract law. So if, you li- if I employed you and you lied to me and said, you know, uh, you needed to borrow money, uh, and I lend you money, but it turns out you're bankrupt and yeah. you lied about that. Then I can sue you. All right. So there's nothing in theory to stop us suing Michelle Moan for, to recover the costs, the several thousand pounds we've laid out. The Good Law Project um, came in and said, we hear that you're interested in seeing if we can set some sort of a precedent here. Um, and we thought, yeah, so we've instructed solicitors. We've got a, a barrister uh, is uh, on the case and is of the opinion that we have a strong case. We've subsequently, since I went on the radio this morning on, on, on the Today on radio to, uh, for Today programme, we've had a number of inbound offers of help pro bono. Um, so, you know, there's a great amount of goodwill, I think, from decent people saying this is wrong and it would be great if you could do something about it to set a deterrent, you know, just so that people think twice about this isn't a slap case right which is no. which a slap cases are uh, on a slightly different order of magnitude but in some ways what what's happening here can is, you explain just so a slap is what, is what is selective legal action to prevent public participation or something like this where very wealthy people typically a russian oligarch will yes. set out a load of actual legal cases to try and stymie honest reporting and tie up um, newspapers and news organisations in the courts. And they they happen the world over and the government is considering legislation to stop it. But in a way, this is more invidious, this, because what they're doing, what Michelle Moan has got into the habit of doing to an absurd degree is just spewing out legal letters anytime she doesn't, she reads something she doesn't like saying, this is a pre-action letter for defamation do this, de da de da de da right? The most absurd one she did was to the national newspaper in Scotland who had reported that she went on telly and said that she had a flat in Glasgow, I think, somewhere, Glasgow or Edinburgh, and that a previous occupant of this flat had been Albert Einstein. Right. <laughs> no, absolute nonsense. Albert Einstein never lived in, in Scotland. No, he, was, national, he wasn't a Gorbals boy. <laughs> the National reported the nonsense of this story. She threatens to sue them for defamation. So this is her MO. She, w- w- when she has a story she doesn't like, she essentially threatens people yeah. with a, a, a financial penalty that they will, yeah. they will, they will rack up. The, the, the taxi meter has started running. Well, if, so it's a, the, you immediately... Because you have to respond to these things. Yes. You can't just ignore No, I've been, I remember in yeah. editing roles I've occupied yeah. in the past, this is a constant worry. And it's is- a pain in the arse. It's a real pain in the arse. It, it, if you have, if you're not courageous and bolshy like we are, you know, I suspect there's lots of people who have gone away quietly, you know. Which oh, is, yeah. Which is awful when you think about it. That the, the reason they use this tactic is it must be effective in some cases. Anyway, they picked on the wrong guys with us. So... We will sue them. Uh, we've got our legal team lined up. She mocked it last night, or her representatives mocked the effort, saying, "Well, it, mock away," saying it was laughable. Which mock I thought, away. my word, you know, you still don't get it. You do still you? don't get it. You still don't get it that there's nothing laughable about this instance. So we're coming after her, even if we fail. I think it'll be worth. Um, it starts a conversation about the law, yeah. doesn't it? Which is really important. I think yeah. it might be worth just briefly recapping why this happened because the, the the covid inquiry so far has basically been about big personalities but this was about uh what happened in a system that was hugely underprepared yeah uh and and it, what's interesting is that 
we had been quite well prepared up until um, Brexit. Yeah. Because what happened right. was, um, if you look into it, is that Brexit sucked up so much oxygen and cost. Yes, cuts, the austerity cuts had made a difference, but the real... The real problem, I mean, the, the pandemic had been categorised as top of the national risk register for many years. So there was no question, this idea that it came as a big shock. No, it didn't. There were, you know, there'd been MERS, SARS, swine flu, Ebola. You know, everyone knew that at some point there was a real risk of a pandemic and measures had been taken. But just as a, for instance, more than 200 million items of PPE, personal protection equipment, <laughs> had expired in the eight months before the virus arrived in the UK in January 2020. 45% of the 19,909 boxes that were kept in a warehouse in Merseyside had exceeded their use-by dates. Insanely, we were still exporting to China, to China where they make most PPE, uh, as late as March 2020. You're kidding. You're yeah. kidding. Yeah, so inevitably... There was a crisis um, and was set up the VIP lane, so-called, which essentially was a profiteer's blank check, the way it was operated. Certainly the way it's turned out. Yeah. And, you know, um, the National Audit Officer said almost 500 suppliers with links to politicians or senior officials were referred to the VIP high priority channel. What could possibly go wrong? Um, The gowns that uh, Michelle Moan's company provided in june 2019 the government's own nerve tech advisory group that's the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group had specifically warned that gowns should be purchased none of this was new mm. so we end up what, what what do you end up we end up with gowns that can't be used moan and barrowman pocketing 200 million of which 122 million is wasted yeah going off and spending it yeah. and we also end up let it never be forgotten, with at least at least 9,000 health workers dying from COVID. Yeah, appalling. Be- you know, m- m- most of whom had inadequate PPE at yeah. one stage or another. Yeah, so the, the bigger context of this yeah. is life and death. It's and not I, just you're, it's you're, truth and falsity. It's you about- are absolutely right. And, and we sh- I should be clear about it. What we're doing is a sideshow. It's, well, it, it's important. It's and very I think it would be great if we can establish some... But it is a sideshow. And where Michelle Moan is right is that there is clearly a bigger story to be told about the incompetence in government as well and the nefarious activities of this around this VIP channel. That's got to come out. You know, we need to understand that. I saw on Twitter a guy, UK, I must find out the name of the company. It was a UK manufacturer of PPE, 1,600 employees in the UK, and they got 14 million quids worth of contracts, right? Their business has been going for decades, right? They know the game inside out. Michelle Moan and Doug Barryman, Barryman arrive and talking about, you know, almost like on the Dragon's Den, you know, when they're saying, I've got the best contacts in the Far East and all of this business. You know, I'm a manufacturing and branding expert. And what branding you need for PPE, I don't know. But anyway, they suddenly conjure up out of nowhere this consortium of people who rape the country of 65 million quid as far as I'm concerned you know uh, opportunistic profiteering that's the only thing I can think to describe it that's the real issue that needs to be absolutely poured over grown up governments are meant to prepare and lots of them do and to be fair actually the Blair and Brown governments did for high impact what's called HILP high impact low probability events right you know that you know a lot of things are not necessarily going to happen tomorrow but they are probably going to happen eventually and this you know the pandemic was top of the list and yet because and i think it can't be said often enough because of the short-termist populist slogan-led mentality of the brexit era yeah this was just left to you know literally rot on the shelves of warehouses and the country found itself in march you know the, the the month when we went belatedly to lockdown still exporting and finally um, activating what what are called just-in-time contracts, which are the contracts you make as planning to get extra. But the problem, of course, is if you don't activate them in time, which the government didn't, the stock is gone. So you can say, well, you owe, you know, whichever country it is, you owe us this, you owe us that. And they say, sorry, it's already gone to, 
you know, China, America, wherever. Yeah. Um, that I think is going to be, or I hope it's going to be a massive um, focus of the COVID inquiry yeah. as it moves away from personalities into well, processes. Isn't that a problem though? Because it has all been about, yeah, you know, I mean, who's it, screwed up the it, most it, and all this. Business. It's a challenge, the inquiry yeah. to, to look at that. And then, and then I think to go back to Michelle Moan herself, I, I do think you're right that there's a psychology at work here, which really needs to be drained out of the political system, which is, what we saw in Partygate, what we saw in the Chris Pincher sex scandal, we've seen it, you know, time and time again. It just goes on and on. Peter Bones just been, you know, uh, Scott MP Benson, well, been, Scott, you know, yeah, yeah. it just keeps coming. Endless layers. Miriam Cates is, is the subject of some yeah, standards committee. That'll be interesting. Uh, we don't know what it is, but it's yeah. said to impugn the whole uh, credibility of Parliament. So it must Sounds be serious. Good, yeah. So th- there is this culture which we we it's really important not to become desensitised to. Yeah. And I remember when you first told me about that cover, I thought, oh, this is going to be a really good cover. But I think since then, I've become more and more sort of evangelical about it because it oh. really epitomises something important, doesn't it? I think it is illustrative of a very big macro yeah. problem. And, you know, maybe Michelle Moan will look back on this in a, in a few years' time with a sense of grievance that she was made an example of. And maybe that's true, and maybe that's her tough luck, but she sort of brought it on herself. But she is the tip of the iceberg. I don't think she's a scapegoat. <clears throat> they keep saying they're scapegoats. She's a case study, which is different. Yes, that's right. You know, it, I yeah, mean, it's, it. it's a really important distinction to yeah. make. She re- the, the other thing I realised <laughs> is that she reminded me of some character in fiction, and I realised last night what it was, which is Catch-22, fantastic yeah. classic novel, Joseph yeah. Miller. There's a character in it called Milo Minderbinder, who's yeah. a uh, profiteer, and he, he says... I'm quoting, anyone who would not steal from the country he loved would not steal from anyone, right? <laughs> that, was his, that was his judge of other people's character. Yeah. And I kind of feel, you know, that was Joseph Heller's satire, yeah. right? Well, welcome to 2023, end thereof. Yeah. This is what this government and the people associated with it do and have, and this is the way they have behaved. And the, the, one of the many reasons we desperately need a general election is this cannot go on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. So I'm really proud to be, you know, a small cog in the big machine of the new European, which is taking this action because we're not yeah. lose. It's an important principle. It well, really is. Thank you for saying that. And I'm, I'm delighted that you're on the journey with 100%. us. 100%. And I, I, my only uh, plea of self-interest is to say to people, you know, you don't have to sit there feeling uh, totally disenfranchised and powerless. You can help us, you know, you can help us. You can help organizations like the Byline Times. You can subscribe to The Guardian. You can you can help uh, by supporting honest, independent journalism that is kicking back against this malaise that we're suffering in this country. Because the populists, the nativists, the right-wingers, they want you to be cynical. Yeah. They want you to give up. Yeah. They want, you know, pessimism and cynicism is is what they feed upon yeah and you have to it's i i get it you yeah. know but you have to fight back against that we don't like pessimism and we, cynicism we're, we're not we're not having it you know welcome we're to not. the home of optimism this and is hope. this is chateau d'optimism chateau du hope <laughs> <laughs> well listen thank you for that no bombshell of hope I'm sorry if i've uh, come across as a bit ranty in that first half no we love it, it. really did infuriate me the way uh, she thought she could bully the new european ranty but festive that's Good. the way yeah, i look at it festive ranting um, festive ranting when we come back we're going to speak to um a woman I've long, we've both long admired, I think, in her... Excellent person. Zoe Gardner. Who Excellent is a, campaigner. Who is a campaigner on migration, which I think has been the issue of 2023. And it really has. I'm sure Zoe's going to set, uh, shed a lot of light uh, onto that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Two Mats. And if you like the kind of conversations we have here, there are loads more to be had in print and online at The New European. Uh, and I have got a very special offer for all listeners of The Two Mats. We are giving away copies of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023, which is a book we're publishing this month. Uh, it's a fantastic diary full of everything that's happened, all the people he's met, and anybody who's uh, a fan of Alistair Campbell's Diaries over the years know how brilliantly he turns them out. He is very much a latter-day Samuel He really is. He is. So you can get a free copy of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023 
worth £20 when you subscribe to the New European from as little as £1 a week. Or if you like getting the newspaper delivered to your door every single week, you can have that for just another pound a week. And that's a 75% saving on the price you'll pay at the newsagents. To get this great offer, go to www.theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, everybody. Um, delighted to say we are joined by the illustrious Zoe Gardner, who is a policy migration expert and a journalist and wrote a great piece in The New European this week about looking for concrete solutions rather than just um, obsessing on this rhetoric all the time. But let's obsess on the rhetoric for a little while, Zoe, because this year has been full of right-wing rhetoric about uh, migration and uh, immigration and asylum-seeking and refugees, and we can unpick all of that. What's your view of of how this government has conducted the issue over the last 12 months or so? Um, I, I cannot damn it strongly enough. I think it has been disgraceful. They've reached new lows almost every week of how they've spoken about this issue, let alone how they've actually handled it in terms of policy um, and in terms of how they've treated people. Just literally how they've spoken about people has been um, really absolutely disgraceful and it has been shameful and it has degraded our entire conversation, made it much more difficult to have any kind of honesty or, or serious conversations about what solutions are because they've you know for a start they've totally rebranded asylum seekers and refugees as illegal immigrants it's not so much that it's not true it's that it's a choice of how to frame people there have always been refugees and asylum seekers coming to the UK they have been called refugees and asylum seekers despite the fact that they have always had to make irregular journeys in order to reach the UK because that's what they are. They, they are people who are seeking sanctuary, seeking protection and, and escaping from danger and from violence. You can, you can make the choice to refer to people however you like, but if you, if you speak about them as seekers of sanctuary, then you are framing them as people that we are able to help. And if you speak about them as illegal immigrants, you are framing them as a threat. What's been really shocking is how quickly I've seen all the mainstream news channels adopt this language, including the BBC, adopt the language of illegal immigrants where they, a couple of years ago, were talking about asylum seekers and refugees. And that's just one example. But there's been, you know, a series of horrifying speeches, each one worse than the last. Obviously, you know, we, we thought it was Suella Braverman who was the, the, the leader in terms of terrible, hostile rhetoric and talking about a hurricane and talking about an invasion. But since she's been sacked, we saw Robert Jenrick 
um, the immigration minister, ex-immigration minister now, talking about how migrants arriving in small boats like don't fit in with our culture and, and lots of horrible dog whistly things like that. And then he wasn't sacked, he sacked himself, left the cabinet. And, and then we had the prime minister using the exact same type of language again in a speech just last week, saying that... that the UK and Europe are in danger of being overwhelmed. Yeah, Sunak, as I understand it, went went further and said that there was a risk of, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but hostile states uh, sending people uh, to, to to Western nations in order to subvert them and cause them harm, which is, you know, hor- horrifyingly close to the far right's great replacement theory. In, 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 you know, it's specific, but it, you know, this is Sunak who was supposed to be the the adult in the room and the technocrat basically using hard right cultural language exactly yeah and 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 this is what i mean when i say that you know we've moved from braverman saying it um to sunak saying it and it's the exact same thing the exact same extreme and very very worrying rhetoric coming now directly out of the mouth of the prime minister and that shift has happened just over a few months he he used to be the one who while he was enacting the policies he had somebody else saying the really horrible thing but in in this is how it's escalating it's getting much faster the escalation in terms of like how far uh, our politicians are willing to go, how much they are willing to demonise uh, migration and present it as an existential threat, a civilizational threat, which is a complete lie. Of course, we must talk about that in terms of, you know, just totally debunking the idea that there are some sort of hordes at the gates. It's complete nonsense. But it's been a massive and very, very quick and very scary escalation in terms of the the rhetoric that we're seeing and and it should be worrying us all i think zoe what's the chicken the egg in this scenario is it the media or is it the politicians who's because i know the rhetoric in the media has been going for decades now and it's tied into an all sorts of issues but it seems to have reached a crescendo this year uh and i wonder do you feel that the the politicians are just following the daily mail's lead you know is it this kind of uh, motivation. I, I would have said back in the past that that maybe it was politicians following the Daily Mail's lead. I actually don't think it is anymore. I think politicians are leading this now. Um, I think that right. you know if if you look even a year ago, year and a half ago, and you go into the pandemic, people's views on migration were really positive. The conversation in the the papers about migration was well, it was more subdued for a start. Um, there there has been an ongoing sort of um, blood-curdling cries from the usual suspects, the male, um, the son, about the small boats. But honestly, I have seen, again, these like key point speeches from Braverman and then uh, now from others, she will say an invasion and then you see in the the papers and on social media and, and in the media in general, the word invasion. She will say a hurricane and then you see a hurricane. Her bill... A piece of legislation that she passed, um, oh gosh, um, about eight months ago now, she called it the illegal migration bill. Um, And that was a a piece of legislation focused entirely on refugees. She changed that language. And it was very clearly from that moment that I saw the, the definitive shift happen, the likes of the BBC and so on, the mainstream press picking up that language about illegal migrants rather than asylum seekers. So I think this has been led from the top, really, um, which, right. yeah, and, and which don't get me scary. wrong, the media is along for the scary. ride, but... I mean, I suppose, Zoe, the interesting thing is we're looking forward to 2024 potential change of government. And we've, on the podcast, we've talked often of a, a, a sort of cross-spectrum reset on the whole issue of border control, migration, and a, a more positive way of looking at it that's both compassionate uh, competent and speedy, and I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, you, you pointed out in your piece for the New European that Labour have been, they've they've limited themselves to quite sort of tough, tough rhetoric and tough measures. But in a broader sense, what 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 is what what is the kind of suite of measures that might lead to a better system? Because it seems to me that what we've got here is just performative politics. Um, you know, the only thing it's really doing is in, is um, injecting toxins into the political bloodstream and keeping 122,000 asylum seekers unprocessed. The whole thing needs to be 
uh, rethought and a new uh, form of political discourse needs to envelop it. And I just wondered what what your kind of top few, you know, your shopping list of of, of things would be. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Labour. I think it's, it's, it seems very likely at this stage that Labour will form the next government, and and what they do next will have a massive impact in terms of whether the UK continues in in the vein that we're seeing internationally of a, a, a slide further towards the far right um, or not. So I think it's it's absolutely vital that they they introduce major changes basically in how we handle this because I think the evidence shows us that the consensus of even sort of centre-left or cent- and centre-right and sort of liberal democratic politics around this issue for so long has been to accept a certain level of demonisation, a certain level of hostility, but also, you know, face up to the reality that migration is desperately needed. Um, it, it, irregular migration is very, very difficult issue to stop. Um, and so sort of still have the numbers coming in and sort of use that to play against each other and have a bit of hostility and, and the numbers still come in. Um I think I think there's been a sort of wise up to that. People are not accepting that anymore, um, and that's why I think the 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 rhetoric has got so much more extreme because that's what people are. Uh, that's what the demand is. People are saying, seeing that politicians who have said they're going to be this tough are not stopping migration, and so we want now politicians to be that tough, um, uh, way 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 more so, and and say things that are truly scary and worrying for all our rights, and that's the. That's what Keir Starmer will have to confront, is that if he tries to go back to the status quo as before the Tories, um, as before Brexit, um, he will not solve the issue. It would be better than what we have now, don't get me wrong. It's, it's got a lot worse um, in the last um, five years, ten years, uh, the situation for refugees and asylum seekers. But if he tries to just go back to how it was before, um, when there was still you know, refugees in Calais trying to cross. Um, it was in lorries um, back then, more so than in boats. But really, honestly, the difference that isn't isn't so um, important. Um, that will still continue to be seen as a failure. Um, and and if that sort of sensible, so called politics is then seen to have failed, um, then then that opens up the gates. So like, all right, right, well, then you know. We, we tried we tried being more sensible we tried being more kind we need to now go to the extreme right that's what I worry about so sorry uh, with that said in terms of what they should do um, they should certainly obviously and they have said they will do this is focus on processing people's claims extremely much more quickly than uh, has been done even especially in the last couple of years where there's, the system has basically ground to a stop but also in past several years it's been completely standard even for the past decade it's been quite standard for people to spend um in many cases several years in the in the asylum system that should just simply never be happening it's it's, it's not and that means spending some money doesn't it i mean liam Byrne it means made spending this some point money but rwanda debate it can be done in a much quicker and more efficient way so yes it does an asylum system will cost money. A, a decent asylum system costs money, uh, just as sort of any other functioning part of the state does cost money. I think it would cost significantly less if we didn't spend, you know, three hundred million pounds on harebrained schemes with Rwanda. Um, there are other areas of waste in in the system. Certainly, not processing people's claims and housing them in hotels for the long term. That's also very expensive. So, yes, there would be a cost, but I don't believe. You know, I think I think we'd we'd actually be redistributing money into a more efficient system and ultimately saving a lot of money, because another thing is that you should we should be allowing people to work much quicker. Now, I think it obviously makes sense in the current conversation to talk about asylum seekers having the right to work while they're waiting for their claim to be processed. That makes sense now because they're waiting for several years and being forced into economic inactivity. Yeah. But actually, if you were resolving people's claims within a few months, that wouldn't be necessary. And then once you know. A couple of months in the system and then you come out of it with um, a status um, and the protection that you need and the possibility to get on with your life and then start working. That's a much better system, actually, than one in which people spend so long in the system that actually they they should be allowed to work while still in it. Um, and, And then, yeah, we need to look to Europe and we need to look to what kind of a deal we're going to get with Europe. And we need to... This will be difficult, don't get me wrong, but it's what has to be done is to lead Europe in a direction of um, of responsibility sharing rather than shirking, rather than 
Pers- Does that mean rejoining the Dublin Agreement? Sorry. I don't think it has to be. I, honestly, I think the Dublin Agreement is just highly dysfunctional. And, and again, it's it's going back to where we were before, which didn't work very well. Now, things that were good about the Dublin Agreement, it, it enabled people with family members in the UK who found themselves in Europe to apply to come here directly and safely. That should definitely be a feature of any um, approach we have. But the other side of the Dublin Agreement was that um, people who could not demonstrate a family link to the UK could be returned to, say, Italy, Greece, um, wherever they had first entered the European Union. And that system was firstly very inefficient and clunky because it was required each individual to be passed the parcel between detention centres in different countries, which was just inadequate. Um, but also... It, it just it perpetuates the same problem, which is that it denies people um, agency. It denies the reality that just because we're geographically on the westernmost edge of Europe, um, it, it just doesn't diminish our responsibility to help people and our connections to the rest of the world. Um, and it denies the reality that the reason why people pass through Italy, France, in order to get to the UK is because they don't have another way to get here. It's not because that was their chosen method and then therefore there's any sense in saying well then you should stay there um and so you know i think what 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 the deal with europe needs to look like is a way of facilitating travel um through europe safely um into our asylum system into the other asylum systems of western europe as well while we're at it um but but to enable people you know and it's a few tens of thousands of people every year um enable them to come to the UK as safely as you or I would travel between France and the UK and enter a system that is run fast and well. Um, and, and I want to emphasize just really, really clearly here, because when I say that, people say, oh, you're talking about letting everybody in. Yeah, um, the, I'm talking about letting the exact same people who come in now in as well, just safely. That is that is the difference, because yeah. all the lies about stopping the boats don't actually happen. Right. People still come in just very dangerously and in chaos. I'm talking about the same system, just formalize it, regularize it. So we know who people are. We're bringing them through a system that works and that functions and that's credible and nobody's dying and nobody, no criminal gangs are getting rich off of it. That's the difference. It's not a difference yeah. between letting people in or not letting people in. There's no not letting people in. And we need to kill that. That's, that's, that's not a thing. People will need yeah. protection. Some of them, a very small proportion, will seek it in the UK. I'm talking about yeah. formalizing that system. That was the tweet, I think, that I thought, well, we've got to get Zoe on because you tweeted, when politicians talk about they've explored every possible avenue, you know, the one avenue they haven't explored is just creating a safe route in where people can be processed quickly, which is the bleeding obvious route uh, for for any solution to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, politicians saying that we'll we'll do whatever it takes and that that gives the lie to what they're trying to do. Because what what drives me up the wall more than anything else is the idea that there's some kind of humanitarian um, motivation for sending desperate refugees to Rwanda. Um, There is not, right? This is not about saving lives. If you want to save lives, you have your option. It's very evident. You give people safe safe means to travel. If if you want to prevent... There's no such thing as a compassionate deterrent, is there? Of course not. I mean, (laughs) that's an oxymoron. It would be a contradiction in terms. And... Deterrence has been proven not to work, and I I mentioned this in my New Europeans article as well. But I think it's really important. Yes, you know, people say, "Oh, if we send people to Rwanda, if we if we make it harder to cross, you know, tens of thousands of people have drowned crossing the Mediterranean. It's not a deterrent. Um, people still come, and then there's the extreme end of things where you literally have Saudi Arabia that is shooting people trying to cross the border, <laughs> hundreds of, of of migrants being shot for attempting to cross the border. So a much more active way of killing people for trying to cross the border than ours, which is just to let them drown passively. Um, That is not stopping migration because people need solutions. They need to migrate. They need to cross that border. And so if if shooting them in the face doesn't, doesn't deter people, then there is literally nothing that the UK can do that will deter people. And I don't want that to sound scary because these are not hordes of people these are a a manageable number of people who can be a great asset to our country i think it's so important to emphasize this point about the narrative the demonization you spoke about at the very beginning and we did a a feature last year about those the 37 people who drowned in the in the channel and we went and looked at every single one of their stories and the human story behind it and the journey they've taken 
And these were human beings with real, relatable stories that I defy anybody, anybody, whatever your political persuasion, to read their stories and to say, no, these are demons of some sort. You know, that anything that correlates to the language that Suella Braverman comes out with, they're not. And we've got to find a way of changing that narrative as well. You know, if you ask people, I think about what does illegal migration look like? They think of that Farage poster, you know. the Breaking point. Breaking point. That's what they think of. That's the, the image. And people like you, ourselves, whatever the organisations on the good side of this argument are, we need to find a way of presenting simple narratives that change people's minds, you know, so that they've got a fairer picture of, of migration. That's what's interesting about this as well, like how much we're pushing this story, or we're having pushed down our throats rather, this story of, you know, 30,000 people crossing on a boat, because there's been a major shift in how we see other migrants. And we understand that, you know, there's been very high net immigration figures for uh, migrants coming for all sorts of different reasons to study and to work. They are understood as being people who care for our relatives in care homes. They are understood as being doctors and nurses, or they're understood as being students who we have, again, positive associations with. They come, they they enrich our um, intellectual life, our cultural life. Um, They bring in a significant amount of money to the economy. You know, all of these positive associations we have. um, And and those narratives don't suit this government at all. they would and so they they are focusing in on this really really proportionately tiny number of people who they can still demonize because we haven't successfully told um an effective human story about about the wonderful things that they can bring us and yeah. again and again it's just presented as oh well you want to let these people in well, yeah that that would be good actually <laughs> they, these are great people or they're just yeah. ordinary people who can do as, as as much as any of us can you know contribute to our communities and our economy and our society in so many ways they're not scary and and they need to be humanized but they're denied that humanity so brutally um by our current conversation i can't get my head around still to this day when you come out of the arrivals uh, area in Stansted Airport or any airport there's a, a kiosk manned kiosk with signs saying if you've come are you a Ukrainian refugee come here and here's the government assistance and all of this so if you're a victim of a war perpetrated by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine you get that treatment in the UK if you're a victim of a war perpetrated by Val- Vladimir Putin and Bashar Assad in Syria you get a poster from Nigel Farage telling you to F off I can't understand what the difference is well, yeah, again, it is quite horrifying, the difference in narrative and the difference in how we talk about it. And it's very, very rooted in Islamophobia and racism, definitely, right, right. because it, it it just simply wouldn't have been justified. It was amazing. We, we've helped, what, 240,000 Ukrainian refugees in the UK. That's an amazing thing that we've right. done. Um, and it's, it's a really, yeah. really big number of people. We can't help 30,000 uh, people who've crossed on a boat, though, that's an overwhelming problem. Yeah. That's a that's an invasion. That's something that's costing us billions. You know, the, that, yeah. that that's how yeah. that's framed, and it's it's because those people are so much. The, the story we haven't told the story. We don't tell the story of uh, the fact that the war is still going on in in Syria. Putin's still dropping his bombs yeah. in Syria. Um, we don't tell the story about yeah. Sudan. Um, you know, Afghanistan is barely in the papers anymore, even though the number one nationality of people crossing on those boats are Afghans. Um, surely we right. we should be able to understand that these are people. But it's always yeah again that that why why here they they could have been somewhere else, but nobody questions. You know, those Ukrainians, they could have been somewhere else. But we're proud to, to let them come here. Zoe, thank you for shedding light yes, on, thank and, you so much. and some heat, which is always which is always good uh, to accompany a bit of light um, on this topic. And we hope you'll come back again. Please uh, do. And uh, we didn't talk about the European Union Pact, which we can talk about when we really understand that inside out. But thank you so much. Have a wonderful Christmas. Have a great thank Christmas. Uh, come back soon. See you in 2024. And, uh, and see you in 2024. Yeah, thank have you. a Thanks, great Zoe. new year. Hopefully better politics than this year. So thank you very much, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Please get your questions in and any feedback to the two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, at tnepublishing.com. That's two mats at tnepublishing.com. Or if you listen on Spotify, you can message us there. There's a little little box underneath where you're listening. You can just tap in your questions or feedback there. And that's exactly what Gideon Monsoon did, who says, Hi, 
Thoughts on what would happen if a significant number of voters vote for a third candidate rather than Trump or Biden? Have you got any? Is there any potential for that? Yes, I think there is yeah. with uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I think that's a real problem. Uh, it's, a, it's a real variable in this election. It's a good question. It's going to be absolutely fascinating, this election, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I, can't, I genuinely can't think of a more fascinating setup for And now there's the, the, the prospect since the Colorado Supreme yeah. Court vote on uh, whether he'll be on the ballot at all. So we've so got all that to look forward all, to in all 2024, to play for in 2024. Folks. And we will be back with a new episode in the new year. Uh, we've got something very special planned, actually. For our, we've got a special um, heroes, villains, and departed episode just before, week. just before the new year. Yeah, just before the new year, um, and our new year special. Don't forget our Christmas deal, where you can subscribe to the New European. You'll get a free copy of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023. But more importantly, you will be getting a full year's worth of fantastic journalism, and you'll be part of the fight back against corrosive nationalism and the kind of bigotry we've seen 2023 festooned with so don't stand for it join the team here at the new european just go to the new european.co.uk forward slash two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s there's a link in the show notes and you can join for just one pound a week thank you as ever and thank you for a full year's worth of brilliance from our thank team you. here at rethink audio led today by the third matt matt hill until next week it's happy christmas from me and it's happy christmas from him happy, happy christmas, christmas. 